September. What? Okay, so today is not September, but by the time you're listening to this, it will be September. And I don't, is it a parent thing? Is it a mom thing? Is it a parent thing to just constantly be like, oh my God, the time has just escaped me. Where did the time go? It's the end of summer. And then by the time it's Christmas, I'll be like, I mean, I remember when it was June. I don't know if everybody does this or if this is just a me thing, but if you're listening to these, right, if you listen to these in order, I do this often. So if you're ever like, is this bitch ever going to stop being shocked by the speed in which time moves? The answer is no. I'm going to do this all the time. So there's that. And again, I just can't. (laughs) And again, I just can't believe that it's going to be September. Anyways. Here we are and here you are. This episode is about baking and cooking through grief. And if you are like, wait, I swear that I've seen this before. Or if you're listening and you're like, wait, some of this is familiar. That's because it is. Um, A similar episode was recorded a couple of months back and was subsequently pulled because of, to be really honest with you, there was some shitty language in it that I take full responsibility for. And so... It was pulled rightfully so, but a lot of the content and a lot of the meaning that was in that episode is something that's really important to me and really touches like a lot of aspects of my life and what I do and what I do as a professional and what I do in my personal life. Um, And so I wanted to kind of restructure it. So we're going to do like some community sharing um, and just like a little bit of a preface on that. a listener did hear the previous episode and sent me an email. So when you hear me referencing, I heard your story. Um, that's what they are referencing. And we're going to talk about my own experience with baking and cooking through grief and what that has done for myself and my family and my children and my writing. Um, and then I'm also going to share, uh, like some books and some memoir and some folks in the culinary world that um, have really sort of been profound in like my own kind of, I wouldn't call it an aha moment, but just kind of like, um, what the fuck is the word that I'm looking for? I refuse to pause this and like get my life together. Um, but when you feel like you're in kinship, I am sure a lot of you are like listening and you're like, it's this word dummy. I don't have the word camaraderie. I guess that's kind of anywho. let me stop. Let me stop. So we're going to get right in. Um, and I'm actually going to start by sharing, like I said, an email that I received from a listener who would like to remain anonymous. Ava. I listened to your most recent podcast episode about baking through grief, and I wanted to write to you because I related so much to your story. I had a missed miscarriage as well before I had my daughter Grace, and I also went through the joy and terror of pregnancy shortly after. I have loved to cook for a long time, and especially for other people. There is nothing better to me than making someone happy with food. But I didn't use cooking as a therapeutic tool until my now ex-husband had his first mental breakdown. One would think as a psychologist I could see that coming, but apparently not. What followed was six years of episodes of depression and mania, two moves, six job changes, and increasing abuse. 
One of the things that kept me sane was cooking. Sometimes it was baking with my daughter. Sometimes it was making something for a friend or coworker's birthday. Sometimes it was bringing a dish to someone's home. It didn't really matter. I can say I've never made a biscuit though. Cooking got me through my divorce, which was finally finalized in May after two years of legal nonsense. Fact, the only thing harder than being married to a narcissist is divorcing one. And on the happy end, cooking helped me bond with my boyfriend who is amazing and I feel like I am finally learning what a relationship is supposed to be. He will tell anyone that normally he's the better cook in a relationship, but that he can't hold a candle to me. I think it's one of those things, through the good times and the bad and the social bonds, cooking and food has always been there like this steady companion. This is obviously the very short version of my story because I don't want to write a book, but I wanted to let you know you made me think a lot about the past listening to your story. I work in a school and decided to take this summer to really process all the trauma and craziness of the past two years. I have been doing a lot of long walks and listening to podcasts and reading, so this fits right in. Wishing you lots of happiness. So first of all, I live for things like this, right? I think in my core, I am a storyteller and I understand and process my own story by writing and sharing and which is like inherently vulnerable, right? But when y'all send me things like this um, and give me permission to share, I, and even if you don't give me permission to share, okay? Like just, I mean, just for, just to be clear, I love receiving things like this and connecting with y'all in this way. And if you do not want me to share your story, I still want to hear from you and I love hearing from y'all. So let's just make that known. But um, mostly I mean that my story is mine and belongs to me. And so naturally that's the story that I share often but I love doing this kind of thing. And I mostly just feel really grateful um, and humbled that there are folks out there that, that trust me enough to share their story and that, you know, and even I think when you are even left anonymous, but your story is told, that is also really cathartic and healing, at least in my opinion, it is, you know, I don't know if y'all remember, um, you know, writing stories in English and you could like submit them to have them read aloud and you could be anonymous or not. And (laughs) I, uh, I remember doing this and, you know, asking to be left anonymous, but my, my school, I mean, like my graduating class was like 65 students. I'm from Denver originally. And I went to East high school as a freshman, but I graduated from a very small school in rural Minnesota. And so I would like request to be left anonymous, um, which was a fucking joke <laughs> because like my story would get read and everyone would be like, Oh, okay. I went by Sunny 
in high school. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I don't really talk about that anymore, but yeah, that was my nickname in, in high school. And so people are like, Oh, okay. Like that's obviously about sunny. What the fuck? Like, why are we, why is that even anonymous? But you know, like even back then I just remember feeling, you know, like that was healing and it felt good. Even if people were like, you're full of shit and everybody knows that that's about you. But anyways, um, so again, I, um, originally this podcast really was like created, you know, not just out of like food and storytelling, but community and community folks and being in community with other people. And so I want to always encourage y'all to send me stories and emails. And if you want me to share them, I would love to share them on your behalf. And if you want to be left anonymous, I absolutely respect uh, that as well. And I will do that for you. And if you want to send me like a, a voice clip, uh, I love that too. Cause I like to hear from y'all and I like to hear what y'all sound like. So in regards to kind of where this all started and began, I never baked I, which I, if you guys are like, you own a bakery, don't be an idiot. But I mean, the truth is, is that I did not. Um, in fact, I used to hate baking. Uh, the precision was too much. The math was too much. The measuring and the specifics. And I felt like back then that it was like cooking, but the joy was sucked out of it <laughs> because there was like all of this like specificity and like precision. And I don't know. I mean, I just didn't love it, you know, like I, and I didn't feel like I had the opportunity to be as creative or, you know, like mess around as much in the kitchen. Um, and what, this listener was referencing was the fact that they also experienced a missed miscarriage and in, um, 2019, I also experienced a missed miscarriage and that was like, you know, the catalyst of, really where I am today. Honestly, I, um, that was a really sad and brutal and isolating time in my life. Um, I was 11 weeks pregnant and I was sick, like really sick. And it was like, from the moment that I found out that I was pregnant, I mean, it was just like this insane level of like sickness that I did not experience with my oldest daughter, Scarlett, and like lethargy. And I mean, it was brutal. And so I went to my appointment, my 12 week appointment. And that's when I learned that there wasn't a heartbeat. And then it followed like I mean, like three weeks of just like brutal waiting for my body to kind of do its job and it didn't. And that was really brutal. You know, I think that 
thinking about having a miscarriage and all of the reasons why it is brutal and all of the things that we do have to process. For me personally, I felt so betrayed by my body, you know, on one hand, obviously that it wasn't um, able to tend to and care for this embryo that was growing inside of me, which like, I don't need to be lectured. I understand that that's like not how that works, but you get what I'm saying. And especially if you are sometimes committed to being an asshole to yourself the way that I am. I mean, I, you know, like I felt a lot of guilt and a lot of shame around that part, but then it was like when my body just was not able to miscarry, you know, and like, I was like outraged. I mean, seriously, you know, like the amount of like anger and betrayal that I felt towards my body. It was like, you couldn't get it right the first time. And then like, you can't even do this part. What the fuck? So I ended up having a DNC and I had the procedure and I had lined up somebody to care for Scarlett the next day so that I could like kind of let myself grieve in peace, whatever that looks like, you know, and also, um, because of the, because of the anesthesia, because I was put under, honestly, I mean, it was like, I I needed to be by myself because I could barely move, right? Like you feel like you get hit by a bus. And so I will never forget laying in her bed and like letting myself fall to pieces, you know, and just like weeping. I mean, like, you know, weeping, like the kind of crying that you do where you're like, is my face ever going to recover from looking the way that it looks right now? And just being like so fucking sad and like crawling inside of that sadness and like fluffing the pillows and like staying a while, you know? And like, I really wanted to allow myself that day. I Like I needed to, I needed to do that. And I took a bath and I just so badly wanted to get up and like make something. I wanted to do something, but you know, why did we bake or cook out of grief? Right? Like why, why do we do that? And I think for me in a lot of ways, it's like a distraction, right? Um, for the most part, I have always felt like it was a healthy coping mechanism, right? So it's like, um, it's something for me to distract myself a little bit, but also create, right? And to take sort of like a really kind of like mind fucking time in my life and feel productive and feel like at least, um, at least I can give somebody something with this level of sad, you know? And so I started brainstorming 
that afternoon when I was by myself about like the things that I wanted to make and like what I wanted to do. And when Scarlett, um, came home, you know, like that's, I'll just never forget like her laying next to me and her being really still. And, you know, she was still so young. I mean, this was just shortly after her third birthday and I just remember like clinging to her in a way that felt like healing and also like an apology to her, which I will talk more about why I felt like I needed to apologize to her. But anyways, I really let that time in my life sort of carry me I mean, for a while. And so it was like, I got up the next day and understand that like, this is very much who I am as a person. And while I do think that like some of this disassociating is really normal and a lot of people cope in this way, I will be the first person to admit that, um, yeah, I mean, like I definitely have had the capacity and the capability of like, checking the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? And again, sometimes that can be really healing. And sometimes I think that we take that like way too far. And for like the next several months, I kind of teetered through both. And so I jumped right the fuck in, into my kitchen. I did two things following like the weeks following my miscarriage and my DNC. I cooked and baked like a crazy person. And I wrote with such ferocity that sometimes, especially because I am writing a book right now, I really wish I could get some of that back, but that's neither here nor there. And so at the time I was staying at home with Scarlett and I was literally carving out several hours a day, right, to cook and bake by myself. That was like all I wanted to do. You know, the guy had a list of like what our meals would look like throughout the week. I also had a list of like things that I had never done before that I wanted to tackle that I really wanted to like pour myself into. And then I also made lists of all of the things that I wanted to do and make with Scarlet, you know, and that was like, um, that was my way of connecting with her when I felt like, I couldn't give her all of me in the way that I wanted to, right? Because like the sads, man, they just kind of like truck you. And I think that it doesn't really matter if you are a mom or a parent. It doesn't, you know, like when you're experiencing that kind of sadness, um, it can be like blindsiding, You know what I mean? And so in my mind, I told myself that if I could just get up, you know, like if I could just get up and if I could create something. And also at the time, 
like I tried to have it be somewhat uh, like like a learning experience for her, right? I mean, at the time she was going to a small private school on a farm a couple days a week, right? Like preschool and they, and I'll never forget them uh, learning about apples. And so, you know, like the ways in which I felt like I could connect with her um, and not feel like a trash person, right? Because I was aware of what I was doing, like this sense of distracting and really taking so much time to myself, in order to make myself feel better. And I felt far as fuck from her for a minute. You know what I'm saying? And I felt like cooking and baking, especially if we could do it together, which if you've ever tried baking or cooking with a three-year-old, fat fucking chance, okay? It's like cool to them for approximately 14 and a half seconds before they're over it. But that was like my offering to her. And when I say that that was like my apology to her is I could make her something and I could do something with her that made me feel extra close to her when I felt otherwise like really unavailable, you know, and like disassociated and checked out. And so I had always really wanted to make biscuits and I never had I mean like in my entire lifetime aside from like getting scared at the grand's whatever the fuck that container is called that pops in your face you know what I'm saying like that was the extent of my biscuit making and I wanted to like tackle those and I felt like um I'll just never forget feeling like there's no way that it can be that hard. Like there's no way that it can be that challenging. And I will never forget. This is actually something that Scarlett sat and did with me because the reality is, is like making biscuits is not extra time consuming, which is another thing why I wanted to do it with her. Right. And I still have the picture of these fucking biscuits that I made that were literally, I mean, they were, they tasted fine. Right. But I'm not kidding when I'm telling you that they were like, they rose like half of an inch. And when I reference, you know, this time in my life being the catalyst, right? Like this is when it kind of like all changed and like set me up for what my life looks like today. It was that fucking biscuit that was really the case because I was like, what is this? <laughs> like, what is this biscuit? And why does it absolutely not look like some of these other biscuits? So at the time I was in this online cooking community that has like tens of thousands and tens of thousands of people. And I connected with a woman, uh, hey, Jessica, hey. Um, and I, you know, I, I showed them these biscuits and was like, what the fuck? And so Jessica actually was the first person that like really kind of pseudo coached me online about how to make biscuits and what it takes and, you know, what to avoid and the things that you should do. And, and like, when I tell you the rest is history, literally, the rest is history because I started making biscuits like a crazy person. I mean, I made biscuits 
daily for a while, you know, like nailing, you know, first like nailing the cut and then nailing the rest of the technique, whether it was like, um, you know, the temperature of certain things and the way that they were, uh, frozen or not frozen before they were baked and all of these things. I mean, I, when I tell you that it was an obsession, it absolutely was. And I just felt it was like, oh fuck, at the risk of sounding heinously cheesy. It was like serious, like with every fucking biscuit that I made, I felt like a little bit more inside of myself and like a little bit more healed and a little bit further away from like this shell of a person that was committed to being so mad at her body and also like so far away from everybody, especially her three-year-old, you know? And so I made biscuits like crazy. And in addition to making biscuits, it was like, I was making coursed meals every night and, you know, I threw myself into that whiteboard of things that I wanted to make that I never had and project baking and project cooking. Um, and yeah, I mean, when I tell you the rest is history, that is really what carried me through that time in my life, you know? And then it was like, I found out I was pregnant with medics, you know, like pretty shortly after that, you know? I mean, within, within six weeks, seven weeks. And that was like a whole new set of like moving on and grieving and, and now being like horrified, right? Of like, what if it happens again? And like all of those feelings that you have, um, if you've ever experienced that kind of a loss, you know, and just like this ruminating on like feeling like this dark cloud is over you and is it ever going to go away? And so I literally just kept baking and I just kept cooking and I think about times in my life, you know, even when I was younger and it wasn't so much like project cooking, you know, it was even just as a kid, you know, like feeling like super lonely and isolated and, you know, like tinkering around in the kitchen when I had <laughs> somewhat like no business doing so because at I, especially when I lived with my mother, I had like zero business with just like fucking around with food because there wasn't a ton of it all the time, but that sometimes didn't stop me. And if you've listened to some previous episodes, you will remember hearing me about, um, like a bottle of soy sauce and the chicken breasts. Use your imagination if you have not heard that episode, but you know, I just think about the times that like I didn't so much rely on food in terms of like eating as a means of coping, but I have relied on creating something with my hands, specifically food, um, as a means of like coping and healing. So if 
that resonates with you and you have a similar story. And if you want it, if you want me to share it, or if you want me, if you just want to give it to somebody and I feel like a soft and safe place in order for you to do so, I would love to hear from you. But that was, um, that was like really, that was the beginning of it all. And, you know, and then we got into like the, the pandemic, you know, so I got pregnant with Maddox at the end of October 2019 and then like <laughs> enter the pandemic of 2020 and so again like that was just a whole new kind of um like grieving process and again like this isolation and I felt like the one thing that I had control over was like the way that I was going to feed my kid the way that I was going to feed my family and the way that I was going to kind of smooth my edges you know what I'm saying? And so I did. I just like cooked and baked all through that pregnancy, all through that pandemic. And it really was. I mean, it, it like pulled me back into myself. It gave me the opportunity to feel like I could let myself be really fucking sad and messy. You know, like I could cry over a pot of marinara and that was cool because I was going to feed it to my kid later. And so to me in my head, it was like, I, I was at least still moving forward, you know, like I was allowing myself to like feel all the things and like really be inside of my sadness, but I kept moving, you know, and I don't ever want anybody to feel like that's the answer. Like that's what you have to do. Like sometimes when you are doing that kind of grieving, like, sometimes you need to crawl all up inside of it and you don't have to do a damn thing, you know? So I don't ever want you to think that my way was the best way or the right way. That's just the way that I know. And so that's the only story that I can share. Recently, um, a friend and a community member of mine um, who lost her mother this year um, told me about um, the book crying in H Mart. And I had heard about it, right? I had heard about it. And she actually was not the first person that had told me about it. Um, several people, they were like, you know, have you, have you read this book? And I'm like, no, you know, I'll, I'll get to it. If I'm being really honest with you, I have not been the best reader this year. If you know me in real life, and even if you don't, you know how much I love reading and how important reading is to me. Um, and I have been the worst reader this year. And so I also don't typically love audiobooks, but I was like, okay, you know, it was a prep day in the, in the kitchen for the bakery. And I was like, I'm going to get this book and I'm going to listen to it. And I just, number one, I was like irritated with myself that I hadn't done it sooner. And number two, you know, uh, naturally it clicked right? Like why all of these people were like, yo, crying in H Mart, Michelle's honor. Like you, you, you haven't read that, you know, and the shock of people are like, I can't believe that you haven't read that book yet. It all started to make sense to me. And so if you have not read that book, I'm not going to do a lot of spoilers. Um, if any, really it's about, um, 
a woman who loses her mother and finds comfort in in food and in cooking. And so naturally, right, like I said, uh, all of this made sense to me. Um, as a writer, I actually wrote and published an, an essay in uh, Greatest um, that was about baking and cooking through grief and, you know, that time after that miscarriage and what that looked like that I just shared. Um, yeah, I mean, I got it out there on paper. And so when I tell you that, obviously, this is a topic that is close to me, I mean it. So I'm listening to this book. And I literally like can't even because first of all, her voice is stunning, right? I, I don't listen to books, but then I am going to go ahead and take that back because the, the books that I really love to listen to are like food centric and like food memoir usually are my most favorite books to listen to. Um, and I think like within literally the first like 10 pages, I found myself like ugly crying into the biscuit dough <laughs> listening to this book. Um, it just, you know, it's one of those things where it's like timely and it was so well done and it was so beautifully articulated. And then Michelle's voice on top of that was just, I have no words. If you haven't read that book, please do. And if you feel compelled to do so, listen to it. It's really beautiful when you're actually able to hear her tell her story. Um, another book that really brought me to my knees uh, shortly after my miscarriage and right around the time that I found out that I was pregnant with Maddox was um, Elizabeth Alexander's The Light of the World, which was and continues to be one of my most favorite books of all time and like really profound and just kind of when I say that I was like writing with ferocity, it was like I read this book and in the bathtub, it was not actually something that I listened to. I read it on my phone and just like did these bouts of like ugly crying and then like crazy writing, right? Like the kind of writing that a lot of times it doesn't even kind of make sense. It's almost just like brain dumping and ideas. Um, that is one of those books that I still, I go back to frequently. I haven't, I've read it in its entirety twice. Um, but when I need to just get like lifted up a little bit, or if I need like creative stimulation, it's one of those books that I will always go to and just read like a handful of pages. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. Yes. 
Um, and then another one that I went back to a lot and honestly for different reasons was Molly Weisenberg's A Homemade Life. Um, I stopped writing about food and I definitely stopped reading about food, um, sort of like at the height of my dieting, um, shortly after Scarlett was born. And again, if you have listened to previous podcasts, I have talked about this before, but it was like, I packed up all of these books that were really like, I don't like just left a mark. You know what I mean? It was like really this, like the veil was like starting to part on like the fact that people did this kind of thing for work, right? Like that people wrote about food and their nostalgia and their lives and their experiences and their families all centered around food. And like, not only did they get to share that, but they profited from it. And I'll just never forget like having my mind blown from that in my early twenties, that that was a thing. And I have so many, um, food centric books and like food memoir. And I like put them all away, you know, like I felt like I lost and, and grieved, you know, like finding pleasure in food in that way. Um, and like cooking for people and like simply cooking out of like joy and love and abundance instead of like cooking solely for necessity or like just to sustain, you know? And so I will never forget like grieving the fact that I had like all of these books that were just like shelved, you know, that I like didn't want to look at. I didn't, I wanted to pretend like they didn't exist. And then when I got the fuck over myself, to be really honest with you and decided that I would never, you know, like that in itself was like, I remember going back and being like, what the fuck did I miss? And one of the first books that I read when I decided that I was never going to diet ever again was 32 Yokes by Eric Repair. And just, um, I had that book actually on a hike with me, um, outside of basalt and I was by myself And I, again, I know that this is shocking to all of you, but I just like ugly cried while I read this book because I was like grieving the fact that I like deprived myself of something that I loved so much, aside from the obvious fact of like food inherently, right? Because I, your girl was not eating much and she definitely wasn't eating out of joy, um, but even just like depriving myself of like words and storytelling and like I had totally closed off that whole part of like me and my life and myself. And so that was um, another sort of like barely, you know, dipping my toe into like cooking and baking through grief. Like that still did not feel really available to me at that time in my life but I will never forget what it felt like to reconnect with words and books and other people's stories and allowing myself to start reading in that way again. And then, um, I actually went to a, um, writing retreat course in Santa Fe with Molly Weisenberg 
And again, like instead of writing with like, you know, with ferocity, I started like reading like a crazy person, all of these things that I felt like I missed out on. And so I think that it's interesting to kind of go back and forth and examine the ways that, you know, like, even if I feel like baking and cooking through grief has been something that feels profound or like more prolific in my life within the last couple of years, the reality is that like I've been doing that my whole life to some degree, you know? And I think, um, I think that in itself is healing to me and kind of pulls me back into different times in my life. You know, when I felt like really out of control or spirally or like I didn't have all the answers or I was going through like a big transition how food specifically feeding people and creating people how that always was something that I found myself returning to because it was something that kind of felt like home and I am so glad that I got to share that with y'all and share somebody else's story and again if that is something that resonates with you or you can relate to I would love to hear from you I think that especially in the times that we live in now you know I don't have as much time to dedicate in the ways that I want to, you know, like if, if I could, I'm really, you know, if I could, I would, I would still be processing and cooking and baking through a lot of my own grief and a lot of, you know, what my life looks like today compared to what it looked like last year when I asked for a separation from my ex-husband, you know, and how it's sort of fizzled and dwindled. You know, like as my life shifts and sort of like settles into what single motherhood looks like and what entrepreneurship looks like and what business ownership looks like, I do not have the time and the resources um, to really like project cook, you know, I'll never forget like moving in to the apartment that I'm in now with the kids and uh Again, when you, when for me specifically, when I feel really out of control, that's like the one thing that I can go back to is I can control what's happening in my house and in my kitchen. And that's what I did with Maddox, like strapped to my chest. Um, and with like Scarlett kind of super nearby was still, you know, like some of this like big project baking and cooking. And I've just been thinking a lot about how, you know, I kind of did that for like the first month or two. And then as Maddox got bigger and as Scarlett has gotten older and my schedule has gotten more packed and, you know, like my life is not the same and that's okay. And that's with good reason. But if you could ever catch me in the kitchen, 
if, whether it's because I am like in transition or like have the big sads or whatever it is, I guarantee if I have the time, that's where you can find me. And I'll catch up with y'all soon. Enjoy your week. Bye.